0: Tonight we're going to uh, finish off our series in Philippians chapter 2. Um, we've been working through, I don't even know when we started Philippians, somewhere back in uh, July and I've kind of been working through it. Um, I've really enjoyed it, I think it's been a great couple of chapters to get stuck into. It feels like uh, the passages have, have split up really well. Um, and tonight we're going to finish off in Philippians chapter 2 and we're going to read from verses 25 to 30. Um Philippians 2, what we begin with, what we see is is this call to be imitators of Christ, is this call for us to imitate the humility of Christ, to, to imitate the servanthood of Christ. To imitate the, the, the God that came to earth and, and humbled himself before all of us. Um, and I think what Paul did with that is he gave us two people. He gave us two people that demonstrate that and show that um, and gives them to us as examples. The first was Timothy uh, that we looked at last time. Uh, and this time we're going to look at the second of those, Epaphrodites. Aditis. Probably. Um, His name's only mentioned twice in this book, so maybe I can get away with only mentioning his name twice because it's a little bit more complex than Timothy. But let's read, uh, starting at verse 25. I have thought it necessary to send uh, to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also, uh, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am more eager to send him therefore, so that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honour such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that you have given us uh, to each one of us, Lord, that you have made accessible to each of us. Lord, would you still our hearts? Would you open our hearts now? Would you speak to each and every one of us? In your name we pray. Amen. So, as I've said, we're going to finish off uh, Philippians chapter 1 and 2. And what we see here is an example. An example of what Paul had already set out for us. The example that we're given here is Epaphroditus. We know that Paul was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, that Paul was as Jewish as they came. We had Timothy, who was of a Jewish mother, eh, but a Gentile father that probably wasn't brought up eh, um, in the Jewish way of life. And then we have Epaphroditus, who was fully Gentile, as far as we are aware And I think that's quite fascinating. It's a fascinating observation, isn't it? That so soon, eh, after the spirit of the Lord has been at work, after Christ has been at work, we see three guys that culturally, just a generation before, would have had nothing to do with each other. I think it's awesome that we see that, that socially, politically, religiously different, but through Christ are united and are brought together and are given to us as examples that are on level playing fields. I think it would have been a fascinating thing to have met the three of these men before they knew Christ. To have Paul, the, the Christian hater, to have had Timothy, to, to have uh, Epaphroditus, these three such different characters. I can't quite imagine how it would pan out, but I think it would be interesting. What do we know about this guy? We know that he was a member of the Philippian church, we know that he was a man that risked his health, that risked his life to carry an offering to Paul. To take this missionary offering, this support eh, to him in Rome. In Philippians 4.18, he says this, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. A fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. His name means charming. That wasn't part of the verse, that was my next line. (laughs) His name means charming. And he was He was a charming Christian. Everything that we see about this guy, eh, the way that Paul sets him out for us, shows us eh, and gives us something of that character. He was eh, he gives us the words, he tells us, he was my brother, he's my fellow worker, a fellow soldier, and your messenger. It's quite a lot in there. There's quite a lot of plaudits. it's quite a lot of compliments eh, that he's given to this guy so early in this letter. What we see from Paul is Paul goes from talking about the future, talking about Timothy and what he wants to see, the ministry he wants to see Timothy have, to talking about the present day. To talking about the reality of what was to come with Epaphroditus. Um, And we're going to open up on our first point, looking at this in verse 25, these attributes that are given to Epaphroditus. He gives us these words. I have thought it necessary to send to you, Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. I think Paul likes him. I think Paul thinks that he's a good guy, that as a brother, they are united. I don't have any brothers. I've got a great sister. I would would have quite liked uh, a brother, but he's got brothers Brothers in Christ, united in Christ. We see that all throughout eh, what Paul's talking about, Paul's emphasis on the body, Paul's emphasis on us being as one, being united, brothers, um, as a family. What does it mean that he brings them forward as, as this brother? It means simply that they are united, that they are united in Christ. It means that they have fellowship of the gospel. That's what Paul explains it as eh, in chapter 1, this idea of having fellowship in the gospel. And it's so applicable, just as we said, in the backgrounds of these guys that, you know, it's not our blood, it's not our age, it's not our sex, it's not our race, it's not our social class that we are united, but it's by the blood of Christ that we are united. Not of anything of who we are, not of anything of what we've done, but by the love that Christ has for us, we are brothers and sisters. It's great. It's great, isn't it, that there's something about when you're going through something difficult and you meet with a brother or sister that knows what you're going through and just that embrace, I don't do hugs I'm normally quite awkward, I like a good handshake um, and then sometimes I, if I, yeah maybe I was about to say if I really like you, you get a hug, don't be offended but I don't, I, don't really, I don't really do hugs but you know sometimes when you're going through something difficult, there's nothing better There's nothing better than an embrace from somebody that loves you. From somebody that you know that you are united with in a deeper sense than just being people. There's such comfort in it. There's such comfort in being part of a huge family. Of being part of this huge family that looks out for me, that cares for me, that I can also give. And that's something that Paul so heavily emphasises throughout this letter. He shows us that the care of the body is so important. That the care that was given to him, the care that was extended to him as a brother in Christ, was huge. And it was so natural. That's what we see in in Timothy and Epaphroditus. We see this natural caring that comes with them, that comes uh, from being part of the body. And that's who Epaphroditus was. He's a great example of a brother. A brother that we should look to emulate. A brother who was a good guy. A brother who was of note uh, and who was worthy. A brother who cared about fellowship. He moves on to tell us that he's my fellow worker. Do you know, I love something of Paul and his humility. The fact that he uses this word fellow. The fact that he deliberately puts him on this level playing field. He doesn't go, I'm the supervisor, I'm the gaffer and he's working under me, he's down here. But he acknowledges it and he gets it, that the boss, that the head, that the supervisor is Christ. And all of us are fellow workers under the head that is Christ. And it's great that we have the most phenomenal missionary in Paul. We have the man with the most exceptional ministry, but Epaphroditus is exactly the same as him. He was his fellow worker. They had different calls. They were called to do different things. And again, I love something of that equality, something of the equality of the kingdom of God that all are equal, that we're all brothers and sisters, that we're all workers, that we're all equal. Do you know, I was always fascinated. My granny lives up in and She used to live in this little village called Ocmethy. And if you've ever been there, it's beautiful. You've got kind of the, uh, not caves, what are they called? Things that go down to the sea. They're high and vertical. Cliffs, thank you. Thank you, cliffs. Um, you got, you got, you, you've got the cliffs on one side, and then you look to the other side, and you've got the strawberry fields and the tatty fields on the other side. And it always intrigued me um, at the time of year when the workers would go out into the fields, and they'd be picking away, and you know we would wait until the end of the season, and then we'd go into the strawberry fields and eat so many strawberries that our tummies would hurt, and I can eat a lot of strawberries. But it was awesome. Um and whenever I hear this word worker, laborer, that's what I think of. You know, in, in Luke 10 too, And Jesus said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The harvest is plentiful. The ministry is plentiful. The people are plentiful. The work of God is plentiful. There is a lot to be done. There is a lot to be done for the kingdom of God. There are so many people who need to hear the good news of Christ. And we are called to be the workers within that. Pray that labourers would be sent out. Pray that our brothers and sisters would be filled with gospel courage as they go to work. As they discern what God would have for them. As they look to the plans that God wants with them. Do you know it's so great, this idea? This idea of being fellow. This idea of being on exactly the same level. Because Paul's grafting. Paul's grafting like everybody else. He says, do you know, it's okay that I'm in prison because I get to be with these guards that I would never have been able to share time with. This elite group of soldiers that that are watching me, that are looking after me, I would never have been able to spend time with them, but now that's my purpose. That's my purpose here in prison, is to be able to evangelise to the guys that that, that I've been stuck with. The guys that are physically changed to me uh, for most of the day and then shift and rotate. So I get to spend time with people. Finding that opportunity wherever he goes. Finding that opportunity. And, And that's what we see, that's what we know of Paul. Paul is this man that is this equal, that is this worker, that's not calling him something that he isn't in himself. He uses the words, my fellow soldier. Soldiers have each other's backs. Soldiers fight together, they eat together, they laugh together, they cry together. They do life pretty intensely, eh, pretty much more intensely together than any of us will do life together. Every moment is spent together. And we're soldiers. We're soldiers that are defenders of the faith and we fight evil. We defend and we fight for what is good and we fight darkness again Paul understands he's not some supervisor he understands here he's not some officer he's not some other big guy I don't know my military ranks but he's not somebody that's more than just the soldiers but he is another one of those soldiers that is under Christ soldiers move at the command of their officer so do we as the body we move to the command of Christ do we do it? that's one of my challenges for us are we a people that move are we a people that act at the command of Christ how often do we open the scriptures that, and they correct us they correct us in things that we're doing are we a people are we individuals that are prepared to move are we prepared to do what God is calling us to do to do the difficult things And he calls him your messenger, the carrier of good news. He was a man that took finances, the letter to Paul, so he was quite literally the man that delivered the message. It shows us that he was a man that could be trusted. He was a man of great faithfulness, a man of commitment, a man that was so committed to, to what he was called to do, to what he was sent to do, that it nearly killed him. I'm not at this point as, as a balanced Christian. And, and what's the balance? The balance is this commitment and this understanding in all things. This idea that we can be people that are that are balanced, that that can do good, that can understand and, and, and fight and be uh, on many different fronts. That we can be a people that, that walk with Christ. That we can be a people that, do you know what? The things that I do in public and the things that I do at home on my own are the same. That we can be these balanced people, that our witness is consistent within our lives. So it shows us that we have a great example of a man here in Epaphroditus. We have a man that's a brother, a worker, a soldier, and a messenger. There was no area of his life that was neglected. Do we act as brothers and sisters? Do we have that desire to build one another up? Evidently, Epaphroditus eh, agreed with his church, with his sending church in Philippi, that he was a man that could be trusted. And do we desire to work? Do we desire to be a people that do the work of the Lord? Not just alone, but together. And do we have that desire to fight? Not to defend our God, because our God needs no defending, but are we ready to fight for the souls of this world that are set condemnation. Are we prepared to fight for those souls? Are we prepared to fight against evil? To fight against what consumes so much of this world. So much of the darkness that we see round about us. Are we willing to be a people that are like Epaphroditus. That is just willing to go. Like Timothy. A man that is ready to go and to do whatever God is calling him to do. The second thing we see is he's a burdened Christian. Verses 26 and 27, um, and verse 30 as well, which I'll read, verse 26, 27, and 30, read, For he has been longing for you all, and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed he was ill, near to death, but God have mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should uh, have sorrow upon sorrow, Verse 30, for he nearly died uh, for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service uh, to me. The consistency that we see between Christ, between Timothy, between Epaphroditus, between Paul as well, is their concern for other people. To begin with, he was concerned about Paul. He was worried about Paul. Paul. And when he heard in Philippi that, that Paul was a prisoner in Rome, he volunteered, he went to make that long and dangerous trip to Rome, to stand at Paul's sight, to comfort him, to be with him, to help him. He carried the church's gift that would have been a substantial amount of money, protecting it with his own life. It would have been a journey somewhere in the region of 800 miles. It's that long journey, that serious commitment. You've got to know where you're going if you're prepared to take a journey of that sort of length he understood he understood the burden that was put upon him he understood what he had to go and do and I think it's funny that it says um that he became distressed because you heard he was ill he didn't become distressed because he was ill he wasn't concerned with himself when he became ill but he became distressed because his friends were concerned that he was ill I think that's taking your care to other people to the absolute next level if you care more about what they think of you not being well more than you being not well, I think. But he cared about his friends. He cared deeply about his friends in Philippi and he wanted them to know that he was okay. Do you know, I don't know if you heard the story this week of this guy called John Cho. John Chow. Um, however you pronounce his name, A 26-year-old man with a burden to take the gospel to one of the most isolated tribes around today. Uh, I think he was in the Indian Islands, and he was trained as a missionary. Took time to study and to learn about the North Sentinel Islands where he was going to go. And they were a protected people. You're not allowed to take the gospel to them. You're not allowed to disturb them, and you'll get killed as you go in. And David and I had a conversation about this this week of whether he was, whether he is just a bit crazy. Or whether he was, or quite what his intentions were. Because I'm not quite sure if he was sent or if he just kind of thought one day, let's go for it. But let, let, let's, let's give him the benefit of the doubt. And he went. And he arrived on his boat. And he proclaimed Jesus as Lord. And he gets shot up. And it went through his Bible. So he thought, right, turns around on his boat and sails away again. And he, he left to regather his thoughts. And he left to write. And then he returned to the following trip that he didn't survive. He was shot and killed by multiple eh, arrows. And he wrote this in the letter between his two trips. He said this, you guys might think I'm crazy and all this, but I think it's worth it to eh, display, to show Christ to these people. And then he says this, please do not be angry at them or at God if I get killed. John Chow, whatever you think of him, was a burdened man. He was a man that was burdened with the gospel of Christ to reach the unreached people that still exist today. He was prepared to go to a people that you're not allowed to take the gospel to. To a people that are protected to maintain their way of life. And this man was so burdened that they hear the good news of Christ that he went and he sacrificed himself just this week. We need more people like him not to be crazy and jump on boats and get killed but we need more people that go into difficult circumstances how many people throughout this world know nothing of, of Christ, know nothing of who our saviour is and we see something of this burden in Epaphroditus in the way that, that he goes to Paul, he wasn't just comfortable just contributing, he wasn't comfortable just to do something but he had to go and do a lot because that was the burden that was put upon him He was also burdened clearly, evidently, for his home church. After he arrived in Rome, he became ill. So incredibly ill that he almost died. And this delayed him. And people were concerned about him. But he wasn't burdened by himself. Same as we see in Paul again. He's writing these letters. He doesn't care about himself. He cares about the welfare of others. And he was burdened for them because they were worried about him. Do you know, I've used this comparison probably the, the last couple of times I've, I've spoken through Philippians. But where are we? Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Or Philippians 2.21, for uh, they all seek their own interests, not those of Christ. Epaphroditus was certainly living in Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. There was this natural concern. He understood that Christ was above all else. I think it's interesting that the words that he says eh, has been distressed. There's a similar phrase that's used to describe Christ in Gethsemane. When it says he was sorrowful and troubled. That's a serious amount of concern. That's a real amount of sorrow, of distress that was going on here. It was real. He understood, like Christ, this idea of what it was to sacrifice, this idea of what it was to go and to serve. My question is, what burdens you? What has God placed upon your heart? We all have burdens. We all have things that we hear about that make us emotional, things that that resonate with us more than others, areas that we serve within the life of the church. Eh, Maybe it's countries that we pray for that, that we feel a burden to pray more for. Maybe over the years you feel you've been led to an area of service and that's what you do. Maybe it's something you've ignored. Maybe God's calling you to get involved in something completely different. Or maybe you're being obedient to the call that God has given you. Do you know, God probably isn't calling you to these Indian islands to go and lay down your life, He's probably not calling you to go into the crazy places. But there's an understanding of what it is to be burdened. There's an understanding of what it is to give great sacrifice. Do you know my burden? My burden is to see young people raised up that would say no to the world and would say yes to Christ. It's the thing that gets me going. It's the thing that gets me out of bed in the morning. It's the thing that if there's a lot of stuff going on, that's the thing that drives me. That's the thing that I get and I know that that's the burden that God has given me. To, to, to live in this idea of Philippians one twenty one, that to live, I want to live for Christ and I want to die to the world. And to reject this idea of Philippians 2.21, that we're going to seek our own interest. It's important that we know what God's calling us to. It's important that we understand the things that God has burdened us in. In, in our prayer lives, and our work lives. Maybe it's a certain person you work with that God has burdened you for and you've no idea why. Pray about it. Pray about it. Maybe there's a conversation that that the Lord wants you to have with that person. I don't know. But respond to the burdens that God gives you. And finally in verses 28 to 30, he is a blessed Christian. The verses read, I am more eager eh, to send him therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, that I may be less anxious, so receive him in the Lord with all joy and honour such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Paul's reacting to something in this. Um, there's kind of a command uh, to accept him then a bit of an explanation. And I think it's because there would have been something of a surprise um, That he would be returning earlier than expected because he had been so unwell. And there's there's this thought that that could have brought criticism. So what Paul's doing is trying to herd them away from that. To say, this is a great guy. This is a man that is doing the work of Christ. Receive him with joy. Be joyful when you receive him. Don't condemn him, but be grateful for what he has done. He orders the people to welcome him in the Lord. And they should do it wholeheartedly. Evidently, he was clearly very, very unwell. And Paul wants to care for him. He wants to do what's best for him. And you know, it's not just the distance. It's not just that incredible journey that he took on. But the fact is, he was going to Rome. He was going to where the problem was. He was going to the epicentre of all the difficulty and the problems that were going on. He's exposing himself to potential Persecution. Why? Because he had this desire to serve Christ. Because he was committed to carrying out the mission of his church. And we see Epaphroditus as a blessing to Paul. He stood with him in prison and wouldn't even let his illness hinder that service, the service that he had been called to by his church. Do you know what times they must have spent together? what stories Paul must have had what stories Epaphroditus must have had from this 800 mile journey and then to being on the brink of death what conversations it must have been how rich it must have been how much they must have honoured Christ and what they said but he was also a blessing to his church Paul praises him to the church for his honour and for his service yes Christ gets the glory but there's nothing wrong with with honouring him There's nothing wrong with the servant receiving this honour. It's good to recognise people. It's good to encourage people. We see that Christ emptied himself, yet the Father exalted him. Christ himself received the praise. Epaphroditus sacrificed himself with the thought of no reward. And Paul encouraged the church to hold him in honour to the glory of God. He was a blessing to Paul. He was a blessing to his own church. And he's also a blessing to us today. He proves to us that there is this joyful life in sacrifice and in service. That again, there's another example of a man that lives with a submissive mind. A mind that is submitted to the authority of Christ. A man that wants to do what is right. Because he understands that it is the best thing that he can do. He and Timothy teach us to submit ultimately to Christ, but ourselves also to one another. Paul doesn't put himself first. He doesn't say, this guy's here and I'm really grateful here because I'm really bored or I'm really lonely and I need his company. But he puts the church first. And he says, do you know what? You need him. I'm eager that he goes. I'm eager that he goes and be with his people. He nearly died for the work of Christ. How far are we willing to go to carry out what Christ has for us? How far are we willing to go for the burdens that Christ has given us? How much of ourselves are we willing to give? Because the examples that he gives us are men that go to the brink. To do what they have to do. To do what they are called to do. And for most of us it won't mean death. It won't mean going to crazy places. But it'll mean faithfulness. And you know, it might mean a bit of sacrifice. It might be our time. It might be financially. I don't know what it might be. But it will probably involve some form of sacrifice. And you know, if we offer ourselves, God will use us. Let's be a people that are used by God, that give ourselves to the mission of God, that give ourselves to the glorious plan of our Creator. You know, Christ is the pattern. Christ is the pattern that we follow. The God that came to earth, that took on form of a servant, that counted himself lower than the low. That put the needs of the lowest above himself. That's the humility of the God that we serve. That's the humility of the king that came into this world. Epaphroditus rest his life to serve Christ. He teaches us that nothing in faith is risk-free. That there's risks that come with these things in the world. The only certainty he has is Jesus. The only certainty he has is life with Christ. Because there's only one hope. There's only one hope and that is Christ. The Christ, the God that is the same yesterday, today and forevermore. Do you know it's not a risk, it's not a gamble to put our hope in Christ. Actually, if we don't, we'll lose it all. But when we become His, that's what we are. We are His. We give control of ourselves to Christ. We let Christ use us, like these examples that we have, to be used for the purposes of Christ. We count everything in our lives lesser than God's plan for us. In Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus and in Christ himself, we see a similar trait in this. We see this steadfastness. We see this sureness. That no matter what comes, these guys are moving. There is nothing that's going to make them waver. Because they understand the hope. Because they understand what is central, what is crucial. Everything else can move. Everything else can change. Circumstances change. Difficulties. All that stuff moves. But the one thing that doesn't move is Christ, the solid rock on which we stand. Between them, we see an incredible array of difficult circumstances. I'm pretty sure between the four of them, they, they go through just about everything difficult that they could. But what is there in common? Joy. In all of this, Epaphroditus knew joy. Joy. He knew that what he was doing was right. He knew that what he was doing was what he was called to do. And that is when he found his fulfillment. He found his fulfillment in his life that was submitted to Christ. John, you know, I really love that term, this idea of the submissive mind that, that we found in Philippians. This mind that is constantly being submitted to Christ, it's not a one-off on the day of our salvation. We say, do you know what, Jesus, you're greater than me, but it's something that we need to continually do. We need to be continually checking our priorities. Continually looking at what we're doing, how we're spending our time, continually resubmitting ourselves to God. Continually turning around saying, God, I've messed up here, I haven't got this right, forgive me, let's do this again. Let's try this again and submit and submit and submit. Because that is where we find joy. That is where we find joy in our submission to Christ. you know, Imagine if we saw our struggles like these guys did. There's an opportunity to grow in joy. That's difficult. That's really, really hard. But that's what it looks like for these guys. It looks like the more they struggled, the more difficulties they faced, the greater their joy grew. We must be a people that are constantly seeking to grow in Christ. That are constantly seeking to submit ourselves to Christ. Not bending for our own preferences, our choices, what we want. But ultimately to the voice of our God. Will we be a people of a submissive mind? Will we be a people that let God be God? That let God do his thing in us? Because it is so much better than what we can do. So much better, so much greater, so much more joyful. So that brings us to the end of Philippians 2. We've explored this example of Epaphroditus, this balanced man who understood what the Lord would have him do. This burdened man, the man that feels such a a deep, genuine Christian love and a sorrow for his friends. And a blessed man, a man who knows joy. A man who knows what the Lord would have him do. So there's my challenge as we look to the example of Christ to Epaphroditus. How's God burdened us? How's God burdened you? Maybe you know. Maybe you can pinpoint exactly the areas that God gives you a heavy heart for. And maybe you're proactively doing something about that. Or maybe you're not. And I want to ask you what can you do? Take some time. Pray about it. If there's an area in the church that that you feel the Lord wants you to serve, the Lord wants you to do something, have those conversations. Discern it, speak to people, work it out. But what's the calling? What's the burden that God has put on your life? Let's be a people that display real Christian love. Let's be a people that show this level of genuineness, this level of care, this level of love for each other. Because that love only comes as we submit ourselves more to Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, it's so encouraging to read of these examples, to read of these examples of of men that went to the extreme, of these people that went to the ends of themselves and further for your purposes. Lord, what a challenge there is in that for us. Lord, would we be a people that do? Would we be a people that spend time with you? A people that do your work? Lord, would you burden us for the things that burden you? Would you break our hearts for what breaks yours? Would you help us to be a people that are faithful? A people that care for each other? A people that show genuine love to each other? A people that fight the good fight. A people that fight for what is right. And fight against what is wrong. Lord God it blows us away. That you make the joy that you had available to us. That you came into this earth. As a servant king. That ransomed himself. For us. It's not for himself. But for us. Lord it's a privilege to be in your presence. It's a privilege to be called your people. Lord, we thank you. Amen.